Well, I am so glad to see you this morning. Um, we are in the third week of a message series on the Holy Spirit, and um, today, uh, today's message is a second part of one that we had last week, and if you weren't here, you'll be able to catch up real quick. If you were uh, not here as well, though, you may be able to go online and watch what we're doing. All of our messages for several years are archived. Just go to our website, fourcornerschurch.com, and you can go to the Watch the Message link, and you can find the history of so many stuff that we've done, including the last couple weeks. But I thought that today I would start with a couple stories, but before I do that, I need to give a couple disclaimers. Um, whenever a pastor talks on the Holy Spirit, you run the risk of going off the sides on an issue that requires a certain amount of balance. You run the risk of running into a ditch, technically. Um, and so, so what I want to do is I want to prevent that this morning for me. I want to prevent that for you. And I want to let you know, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, there is content to learn here. I want to fill your head to some degree. There's content to learn. I want to teach you some stuff. I want to remind some of you of some things. But the goal is not to teach. The goal is even not to learn. That's not the goal at all. In fact, the teaching and the learning is there to facilitate a better and more important goal. And that is that you would have a stronger, more, more prominent encounter with the God of the Bible. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the learning today is not to simply fill your mind. It's actually meant to open your heart. And the challenge with complex theological things and biblical realities is, is sometimes we can feel content. Some of you, the way you're wired, your personality, you can feel content just learning some stuff. And learning's powerful, learning's good. We need to learn. In fact, many of us have pockets of ignorance. I know I do in my understanding. And so there's ample room to learn. But learning about God was never what God wanted for you. He wanted to teach you about himself through scripture, through the proclaimed word of God, a message so that you could encounter him, so that you could know him, not know about him, but know him. So the first ditch we want to avoid is learning some stuff, but then missing the whole point of the learning. Here's, an, here's another ditch to avoid when we talk about the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we bring, if you've been in church for any length of time at all, if not, you may have heard some things, we bring a certain bias to the conversation. You have experiences, you have bits of knowledge, you have bits of data, you have teaching that you've heard before, and we bring that to the conversation. That's okay. That's actually normal. We can't even turn that off. The challenge is, the challenge is, is that we listen in light of our previous learnings, and sometimes that inappropriately filters what we're hearing. So sometimes bad things get reinforced when you're learning about a topic. And other times, things don't get filtered appropriately through your learnings. And so today, the challenge for you is going to be, how do you take what we're talking about today that's happening now and filter it through your experiences, through your knowledge, through your understanding, your personality, all of that that goes into learning? Because the truth is, is that no matter where you are spiritually, what God really wants for you is a fresh move of his spirit in your life. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote all through the New Testament when he was writing letters to Christians, to Christians, I want you to be filled with God's spirit, he said to them. I want you to be filled with God's spirit. The language implies that we leak. And what God wants to do by his spirit is to consistently fill us up with him. And sometimes our learnings and our experiences and our previous stuff can prevent that filling from occurring. So we want to avoid learning about God. We actually want to encounter 
him. We, we want to avoid overly filtering so that we don't get filled. And then the third thing I would say to you when we talk about the Holy Spirit is sometimes there's just a lot of newness. And for some of you today, especially in a church like ours, where a lot of people don't have an active relationship with the church or with the Lord in much of their adult life, there's a lot of new things that have to get, get encountered and learned and understood. And so sometimes with new things, there's fear. Sometimes with new things, there's just ignorance. And those things can be barriers sometimes to what God wants to do. So I want to ask and invite you actually to just relax this morning. I'm going to push the envelope just a bit into some uncomfortable things that are comfortable for me, but honestly, as a person, they're comfortable. But talking about them, I know they open up for all kinds of speculations and what-ifs. And I'm just going to put that in the back burner, and we're just going to roll with it. So let me start with a couple stories. Um, You're going to, if you don't trust me, by the way, you're going to doubt the the veracity of my stories, perhaps. That's okay, but let me make something clear to you. I, I don't typically make it a habit of lying, all right? And I certainly don't preach evangelistically. And what we mean by that in the business of churches, I don't preach and then fudge on the details to make a point. I don't preach and fudge on the details to stir your heart. I don't do that, all right? So what I do here is very important to me. And so the stories I'm telling you are my experience. You're welcome to disagree with me, but they are true, all right? So I'm about four years old. I don't remember this story, but it's been told to me by my mom because it was a very important story to her. My mom was not yet a believer. She didn't have a relationship with Jesus. God was stirring her heart. Some things in her life had occurred. She was beginning to reflect on them. Primarily, she lost a couple children um, uh, when she was pregnant before they were born, and it devastated her emotionally. She carried those scars with her for a long time. And by the time I'm four years old, she's just glad to have some kids. But she hasn't really dealt with that grief. So the Lord is actually using that grief to do something in her heart, and she's reaching out emotionally. And so the Spirit is already working in her life. But my mom knows nothing. She was one of those rare people that kind of grew up in the mountains but didn't go to church. I mean, my grandmother carried the Bible in one hand and literally a corncob pipe in another. My grandmother taught her some scripture and how to cuss. I mean, she was a complex woman. That's just the truth. And so my mom just didn't know anything about the Bible. And by this point in her adult life, we're living in inner city Chicago. And back in those days, there would be door-to-door salespeople. And they would literally come by your house, knock on your door, ask for a few moments of your time. And then they'd try to sell you stuff. Brushes. All right. But this particular day, I'm about four years old. There's a knock on the door. And on the other side of the door, there's a lady there going to try to sell my mom a vacuum cleaner. That's what she was doing. And so evidently, there's a knock on the door, and uncharacteristically, I decided it was on me as the man of the house to go open the door. So I run to the door, inner city, I open the door, my mom is freaking out, and so my mom hears the door open, rushes out, and I'm standing in the doorway, the vacuum cleaner sales lady is standing in front of the door, and when my mom gets to the door, the lady says to my mom, these words, no lie, she says, I I wanted to sell you a vacuum today. Instead, I want to tell you about this little boy. She said, he will stand before people, and he will preach God's truth, and people's lives will be changed. I don't want to sell you a vacuum today. And my mom was like, that was weird, okay? And so she like brings me in, shuts the door. Now, 
There's no fabrication in that story. You don't have to believe me. It's just true. I know it because that became a seminal moment in my mom's journey towards the Lord. My mom, for the first time in her life, got the sense that what she did with life would have an impact on her kids, not just for this life, but in a big way. And so as I grew up, I heard that story pretty regularly. God has a call on your life. He's going to do something powerful in you. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. I, we didn't know it at the time. We didn't know anything. I'm four years old. I don't remember the event at all. My mom didn't have a category. All she knew is that in that moment when that woman spoke those words, something inside of my mom went, yes, that's true. That's true. It's not true in the sense of two plus two equals four. But in some sense, it was truer than that because for my mom, it spoke to right to where she was, that there was a God, that God would do something, and God would send somebody to the house to remind my mom that her life lived could have a dramatic impact, not just on her, but other people. And just a matter of a few months, my mom literally gave her heart to Christ, and it changed the trajectory of our family. Here's another story. My wife and I had been living in Cincinnati for about a year, and we had served only in, a, in local churches, um, really, uh, all of our adult life. Um, in, in college when we met, I, I got a job in a local church. Um, when I got out of college, I went to seminary. I was working in a local church. We, we loved the local church. We had been working in the local church in Florida uh, for about seven years, and we moved here so that our daughter could go to school, so we could have a fresh start near family. And I wanted to be a man who practiced what I preached, and I wanted to be a part of the local church. I, in my heart of hearts, I believed it was foolish to say, I love Jesus, but I hate his wife. The church is the wife of Christ. I think that's foolish. I think the enemy has played havoc in people's minds with that kind of duplicity, and they don't see how inconsistent it is. So I preached that. I wanted to live it. So Jill and I have taken a year to try to find a local church. And all of you that have tried to find a church to attend, you have my sympathies. It is a difficult thing. Because the easy part was, do, they, do we have a similar theology? Does it feel kind of right in the room? Check, check, check. The harder part was all the subjective stuff that comes with finding a church. Like, do we really want to raise our family here? Like, is this something I really want to give myself to in a significant way? Because if I just attend, fine. But if I'm really going to be a part, I need to know more. And so over the course of a year, three different times, Jill and I looked at each other and said, this is our church. This is our church. This is it. I'm done looking. I'm tired of looking. This is it. Then those perfect church. This one's good enough. And three weeks later, we'd be like, I hate this church. I don't don't know what's going on. There's something wrong there. I don't even know what it is. So about a year in, a friend of ours, through the job I was at, says, hey, there's this church over on the other side of town, the pastor's been uh, kind of sick, so there's a, a, a kind of a fill-in guy, but um, this is a, God's doing some cool stuff. You should at least go. And I honestly, here was my attitude. Well, I guess I got to go somewhere. Might as well go there. Because uh, the way I'm wired is, is that you, you get to go to church, but if that doesn't motivate you, then you have to go to church. And so I was on the have-to side of that coin, right? And so, all right, I guess I got to go. And so the minister speaks. And I'll be honest, I wasn't that impressed. Like, it wasn't the most eloquent, most powerful, most motivational. 
And I looked around the room. The room was full. I was kind of impressed by that. There was clear there was some diversity of personality and socioeconomic level in the room and some different uh, ethnicities. So that, that kind of was, was, was cool to me in terms of just as a pastor and thing. Wow. And then there was some just, uh, just a lot of energy. And so I was impressed by that. But what happened was after the service, um, I'm standing out like in the, in the lobby um, and the guy who spoke, big church, guy who spoke, uh, he's in the lobby. And what I thought was kind of odd, I'd been in big churches before, know that that's kind of hard sometimes to interact with the pastor directly. And so I walked up because I've been on staff and I did a little, I don't want to call it a white lie because you're not supposed to lie. But I walked up and I, which was, the statement is true, it just wasn't true very deeply. I said to him, I really enjoyed your message today. Notice I didn't say I was deeply impacted. I really enjoyed your message today, which is a polite way of saying, I don't know what else to say to a pastor. Thank you very much. So you guys, some of you do it, I know. It's okay. It's all good. I'm all, hey, I get it. It's a game. We all play. I smile. It's awesome. All right. So, so I go to pull my hand away. Now, you're going to think I'm fabricating and I'm not fabricating. I go to pull my hand away, and he holds, and he says, tell me your name. I said, my name is Ben. And he says, Ben, I don't know if you believe in this sort of thing or not. And he says, God just spoke to my heart and said, you're going to do big things in Cincinnati. And I should meet with you once a month, and we should talk about that. Now, what he didn't know, what you didn't know, that for the year before as we were looking for a church, the backstory was is I was struggling with the denomination I grew up in. So wonderful people, some of the most godly and kind and sensitive. If something's going on in my life, I want those people praying for me. But I had some theological stuff, but more importantly, I just had some cultural stuff, kind of a disconnect. And so I was feeling like a man without a home. And some of my relationships that had been an active part of my development had kind of gotten colder. And the truth is, is I needed a mentor in some regard to speak into my life and help me navigate this next journey. So when he told me what he felt impressed by the Spirit to tell me, inside my heart was, yes, yes. So could he have made that up? Yeah, of course he could have. But I know some stuff that maybe you don't know that instantly brought veracity to his words. I know that if you're a pastor of a very large church, you don't have time to indiscriminately go up to people and say, let's meet once a month. I know you don't do that. I, I, I can't do that for you. Like, it's, it's incredibly rare. If I do that a lot, then I can't do my primary job, which is this, lead the staff, and the other things that go on my primary list. Now, I'll do some of that. But I know that that's not a normal thing. And then the other thing is you don't, as a pastor, indiscriminately say to somebody, God wants to use you in a big way. You might say that. It's the next part. And I want to invest in that. You don't do that. Right? Because that means he's going to get in the dirty with me. Like his hand's going to get into the deep end of the pool with me. So instantly I was like, yes. Now, by this point in my spiritual journey, I have some categories for that stuff. I kind of know, and in fact, I actually agreed and believed that the Spirit of God does exactly work like that on occasion. That that is exactly how God works on occasion. In the years of my ministry up until the time he moved to Cincinnati, God had used me in some of those ways. In some ways that if I told you stories, some of you would be freaked out. In some ways were much less dramatic and huge impact. And in other ways, they were more dramatic and huge impact. 
One of the reasons I'm talking to you about the Holy Spirit for four weeks is it's not that I want, let me be clear, I don't necessarily want you to have experiences like I've had. That would be selfish and egotistical and short-sighted. I don't necessarily want people to knock on your door and speak words of life over your kids. Maybe. That's not the goal. And I I don't want you to necessarily encounter pastors and other non-paid people who are Christians, just spiritual leaders. I don't necessarily want... Maybe, but that's not the goal. The goal is not any particular expression. The goal is, is I've been praying and asking God to release his spirit to operate more freely in our congregation, in this body. That it wouldn't be unusual for several things to happen. Let me give you some examples of those. It wouldn't be unusual for people with the gift of encouragement to speak encouragement over people. As God prompts people with that gift, that it would be normal for them to call out the good things that they see in people. Because in too many families and in too many organizations that are Christian, that get it, there just isn't enough verbalized encouragement. So encouragement isn't felt. That's not the gift of encouragement. Encouragement is spoken. That's the gift of encouragement. And I would just like for encouragement to be normal. In a healthy family, in a healthy body, the body of Christ is the family of God, encouragement is spoken. Well, when that happens, all kinds of good things are a result. But what motivates it to occur? It's a hunch. It's a sense. It's a gifting. It's an empowerment by the Spirit where some willing vessel says, okay, God, use me this way. Now, for some people, it'll be the first three times they're used that way, and it'll be awkward and weird, but they step into it. For others, it's like a well-worn path, and they're used to walking down that path. And when they do it, it's not like if I just come to you and say, hey, you know, be encouraged today. I don't know that I got the gift. But when they speak, they can come to you and they can say, like, literally, like, hey, how you doing? But what you heard was, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're a child of the Most High King. God has his hand upon your life, and he will complete his work. They can say this is the fewest words, but what you hear is a powerful move of God's spirit deep in your heart. There is a deep yes that happens in you. That's the gift of the spirit of God in operation in the body of Christ. On occasion, I want it to be more normal around here for people, go with the metaphor for this one. I want it to be more normal for people to get tapped on the shoulder and for people to say, I see in you something great for the kingdom of God. I want that to be more normal. That happens. Our body would be better served. I'm not talking about other churches anywhere else. Our body would be better served if we had more people attuned to the kingdom potential in individuals in our body, and they, not just the pastors, but they felt comfortable, equipped, and informed to speak the potential that God has in people's lives over them. That would be the free move of God's spirit among us. We have some yet undiscovered evangelists in the room. These are people who God has uniquely gifted to help people move towards Jesus. They don't save people. They don't convict people. They don't draw people. The Holy Spirit does that. But he does that by moving often on a person who has this thing about them 
It's like I joked about last week in one of the service, maybe it was second or first. It's like Billy Graham. He has the gift of evangelism. And when Billy Graham sneezes, 150 people come to Jesus. That's just the way it works. You and I can sneeze and people don't even say, God bless you. It's, you know. But he does anything and people come. We have that here. I want to see it get expressed consistently. We're preaching about the Holy Spirit because too often in our spiritual life, the Trinity for too many Christians is Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And you're not going to find a pastor in Cincinnati anywhere that believes more in the authority of Scripture than me. So it's not going to have that debate. It is a settled issue for me. You're wrong. I'm wrong. The Bible's right. Period. All right? So that's not going to be a debate here. But that is not the Godhead. The Godhead is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit moves in the body of Christ, dramatic things happen. Sometimes they're dramatic because we feel them as dramatic. Very often they're dramatic and we don't even know what's happening. We don't even sense how special it is. But we look back and we go, oh, the hand of God has been moving here. I taught last week about the word manifest. Manifest, two Latin words. We get our English word, mani, hand, fest, festival. The festival dance. It's the dancing hand of God. The hand of God dances over the body of Christ. And he touches as he does. And God has made manifest. The Spirit has made manifest. It's made visible. It's made alive. It's activated. Sometimes it's very dramatic and very visible. And other times it's very quiet and subdued. But the impact is always the same. God gets glory. People are served. The kingdom of God grows. Devils tremble. Movement occurs. That's what I want. And I think what the enemy wants, I don't like to spend a lot of time on him, is he wants to take conversations like this and get all kinds of other stuff stirred up. I don't want to be sloppy with this. You know, oh, it's good stuff, just throw it in the fire, see what comes out. No, 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 no. We don't want to be sloppy, but at the same time, we don't want to be so cautious that what people typically hear is just be careful with things of the Spirit. No, no, no. Be careful with your flesh. Be careful with your ego and your pride. And let's, let's see God move. That's what we need to be, be freeing up. And God's Spirit already wants to move. He already is moving. And in fact, one of the most potent passages in the Bible about the Spirit of God is this phrase. Do not quench the Spirit. The, the flame and the Spirit often go together. And there's this struggling fire and if we're not careful as Christians, we can actually quench the flame. We can stifle it. Instead, you're supposed to fan it up, blow on it, see what happens. Now, we're going to talk today about some of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm going to come at it less technically precision because I don't have time to go through all the gifts that are um, listed in the Bible and give working definitions in the house. And I'm going to approach this more pastorally today on some of the ones that I think need some commentary because I would like to see more of, or if more happens, I want to be careful with how they happen so that we can do, as the Bible says, everything in decency and in order. All right? So on your message notes, they look like this. On the back, let's get started. Exodus 31, 1 and 2. I just feel prompted to say this real quick, by the way. This is not God. This is totally Ben. 
insecurity. You ready? Here we go. If you don't agree with my stories that they're not biblical, you're welcome to email me, but I will not interact with you. They are my story. They're part of my foundation. They are my testimony. You're welcome to believe God doesn't work that way. You're welcome to, but you'll get no movement with me on that debate. All right? So Exodus 31, here we go. The Lord also said to Moses, look, I have chosen Bezael, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, intelligence, and skill in all kinds of crafts. This is an Old Testament passage where even there we get a hint of what happens when the spirit of God moves in a person. When it fills him up, here's some things that occur. He gets gifts, great wisdom, intelligence, and skill in kinds of crafts. Now, in the New Testament, there are several passages, four big ones, and then a few others that tend to refer to gifts of the Spirit. Now, recall from our conversation last week that a gift of the Spirit is a special enabling ability given to a person unlearned. Now, it may be practiced, you may get better at it, but it's largely unlearned ability to do work for others, to serve other people. You serve God by serving other people. And when you do it, God gets glory and people get helped. So the Bible identifies all kinds of gifts of the Spirit. Romans chapter 12, there's exhortation. That is the uh, gentle encouragement in the right direction. Some people in this room, when you give correction, people don't feel corrected at all. If I give correction, people feel like no matter how I say it, I yelled at them. I don't have this gift. Right? But my wife has the gift of exhortation. She can say to my kids, I, it's magic. It's some voodoo something. I don't know what it works. I say to my kids, you know, we've had this conversation eight times. The trash is still here. That's it. I'm cutting you out of the will. And uh, I don't know why they think I'm harsh. But uh, Jill will say, hey, I wonder if there's anything else in the house we can do. And my kids will go, I know. Let's take out the trash. It drives me insane. All right. There's the gift of giving. I've been meeting with some of you who of weeks ago said you want to do this. I have more to do. There were so many. And this is people who just love literally to give primarily financially, but all that, fi- that means. So they give their heart. They give their emotion. They give their time. They love to give. Like, we have a few of these people in the church. You'd be surprised. Some of them don't make a lot of money. In fact, the gift of giving has very little to do with how much you have. It has very much to do with the adage you have about is this God stuff and do I use it? We have people here who do that. There's leadership. This is moving a group of people towards a shared vision. There's mercy gifts. There's prophecy gifts. And prophecy gifts are, are hotly debated. We're going to talk about that by the time we get done here just a little bit more. But it primarily means speaking the word of God with clarity and boldness. Sometimes that is about a future reality. That's actually rare. Often it's about a current reality that needs clarity. And sometimes it is a corrective reality. All right? There's gifts of service. These are people who are largely behind the scenes. By the way, take a person who's wired for leadership and put them in a serving role. Now, what I do is serving, but my primary gifting in my top five is leadership. And so I love to do a lot of behind the scene things. I do sincerely love to do a lot of behind the scene things. But if I can't help a group of people move in a direction over time, eventually, I'm, I'm stir crazy. Now take somebody without the gift of leadership and put them in front of trying to get a group of people to move in a direction, and it's chaos. 
It's chaos, but a lot of people who can't do that love being somewhat behind the scenes, serving the larger vision. They just don't want to be responsible for the people interactions and all that goes with that. That's different giftings. One is not better than the other. They both are required. There's the gift of teaching where you take complex material and you help people understand it. That's in my top five. Then in 1 Corinthians 12, there's gifts of administration. There's the gift of apostle. This is hotly debated whether this still exists. I told you last week, our church believes all the gifts in the Bible are still in operation. Some churches don't. That's okay. We don't debate that anymore here. We're not going to get into debate. Let's reinvestigate. No, no, no. This was settled before we ever began. We believe all the gifts are valid. So when it comes to apostling gifts, we think that the original 12 apostles are the real deal. They are part of the foundation of the church. Nobody else is going to hit that status. But today, the gift of apostle is still operating when people forge new work in new areas. Some people call this the missionary gifting. Some people say church planting is where you see sometimes leaders rise up with an apostolic anointing or calling or spirit moving on their life. So there's the gift of apostle. There's discernment. There's faith. There's the gifts of healing. When some people pray for healings, believe it or not, it seems like more things happen. There is the gift of helps. There's the gift of knowledge, which is kind of insight that is not necessarily learned through the normal learning senses. There's the gift of miracles. There's prophecy again. There's teaching again. There's the gift of tongues. This is uh, one of potentially two things unlearned languages that you haven't learned, but God wants to use you to speak in a language that you haven't learned so that people can understand it. And then the Bible talks about tongues of angels, which might be heavenly languages that don't sound anything like earthly languages that people sometimes speak in. And the Bible actually, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, talks a lot about the gift of tongues and its limits and its empowerings. We're going to talk a little bit about that today as well. And then with tongues, there's often the gift of the interpretation of tongues. That is, somebody speaks in a language in a group. They don't know the, the, the words, the language that's being used. But there's an interpreter there to express that to people. And by this point, everybody that grew up Baptist is wigged out. It's okay. It's totally okay. We haven't talked about what and how and all that in our body. We're going to do some of that in a moment. But I want to tell you, I do believe without equivocation, that all these gifts are very much in operation in the body of Christ today. Now, how they're operated matters as much as that they operate. And you can bring all kinds of confusion. That's why Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 to help bring up clarity to the issue. But nowhere does Paul say, stop this. He doesn't say stop. He says, here's how, so that we bring order to the expression. Ephesians chapter 4. Again, there's the gift of apostle, evangelism. The pastor, teacher, and the pr prophetic gifting are showing up in Ephesians 4. First Peter 4, there's large categories. There's the serving and the speaking gifts. And then throughout the Bible, there are other places. I gave you one in Exodus where it looks like celibacy may be a gift. Several people in the room are thinking, God, they don't have that. It's okay, you can chuckle. I don't know anybody who has the gift of celibacy that loved it unless they had the gift of celibacy, all right? The Bible, by the way, talks about that gift as a very honored gift. Um, it's just not one that people typically pray for, all right? Then there's craftsmanship, the gift of hospitality, even martyrdom, like being killed for the faith, seems to be a gift that some people have. 
missionary, and then voluntary poverty. That seems to be a gift that people give up and actually choose to live in poverty for the sake of the gospel so they can leverage everything they have. Now, I don't have time to give a working definition and example of all of these. Instead, what I want to do is I'm going to walk you through seven ideas, all right? Seven ideas that are more pastoral about our church. Let me give you a couple more stories. So uh, we were starting our church. We were at about 100 adults before we ever held our first service who said, we're going to give it a year to launch this thing, all right? We're going to launch it. And I asked people to give their money, their time, their effort, and their heart, and their prayers to this thing to launch it. Some of them are still in the room. And I'm, I've thought about many of you this week who helped us launch this thing and the gifting that God put in you and the faithfulness you've expressed over years. And I'm humbled that you would exercise your gift with me in this place for so long. I am indebted to you, so thank you. Thank you. But we got together, and uh, there were three big items that showed up. I'm gonna, I don't have time to give you the history. Maybe we'll do this at some other point. We talked about some of this in the membership class, which is Grow One. You can find out about our church more in depth. But there were three debates that kept coming up. One was, is like, hey, Ben, are Christians in our church going to drink alcohol? Like, are we going to be okay with that? And so people like, over here were like, nah, if you drink alcohol, you go to hell. We had a couple of those people. And over people here are like, What? I was Catholic. We didn't know how to have a church event without alcohol. You know, how do you raise money if you don't sell beer? I mean, that's kind of the way, because you know that's true, guys. You know I'm not being silly. That was kind of the range. How do you meet the budget if we don't sell beer? So that's kind of where we were. And so here's the thing. It had been enough discussion that we decided, hey, we'll go ahead and just, for the sake of unity, we'll take an opinion on this. So we, we arrived at a conclusion that we would not say to people all alcohol is off limits, but we would say that it should be off limits for many people, and that's on you. And we would say with clarity that drunkenness is always, always a violation of the Scripture's teachings for believers. And so we would monitor that, express the freedom, but keep, keep the boundary there, right? And so guess what happened? We had a couple people whose light for what we were doing grew a little dimmer, and we had some people over here whose light for what we were doing grew a little dimmer. <laughs> and But in the middle, we were kind of like, all right, we're chugging along now. And here, here's another one that came up. Like, what do you do with women in leadership in the church? And so we paused, hit the pause button. We began to engage the scripture. And we found passages that seemed to line up over here and passages that seemed to line up over here. We decided to do what has always been done with theological complex issues. Just take the whole counsel of God and look at it and say, all right, for the sake of unity, we're going to have to take a position and we decided that in our church, we would not make it our mantra to elevate women to somehow right some societal wrong. That's not what we would do. Instead, we would acknowledge that in the New Testament, women were given positions of leadership and authority in the life of the church, and we would do that too. And then the third thing that came up was the spiritual gifts. Like, do we believe people can have prophecy in tongues and healings and that sort of thing? Or don't we? And it was causing some consternation. So for the sake of unity, we took a position. And we said, once and for all, our position is, we believe all the gifts of the Spirit are made visible in the body of Christ at large, but we would protect their expression in our local body so that it didn't bring confusion and hinder the mission of the church that God was bringing to us. Now you can disagree with all that. There are people in our church who serve in high capacities that disagree with various pieces of the three things that I just said. 
but they don't get to verbally express that in the life of the ministry if they serve in a leadership capacity. They don't have to lead here. If they choose to, those are our positions. Now, with that said, we've had to spend a lot of time managing the expressions of these various things. So in our small groups ministry, some people are like, can we have alcohol at our small group? And I'm like, golly, I... All right, let's pray about this. So we prayed about it. We talked to other churches. That's what we always do. We always talk to other churches. And we decided that, yeah, we'd let small groups drink alcohol if they wanted to in their small groups. But if you had alcohol in your small group, you'd have to let people know on the front end that you had alcohol because the number one most abused drug in our congregation is alcohol. The number one thing that has caused more marriages to fall apart in our church outside of a broken heart is when alcohol was present and there was brokenness present at the same time, people went much further than they would go if alcohol wasn't present. And that's just the truth. You can be mad at me for saying that. And too many people in our church were reckless with their alcohol. So I was on the side of just cut it all out, man. It ain't worth it. I'm the, I'm the one over here having to clean it up. But I couldn't support that biblically because Jesus actually drank wine, friends. He really did. It wasn't just new wine unfermented. That's silly hogwash. You can disagree with me. You're wrong. It's silly how He did. But he didn't get drunk. And Paul says be drunk with the spirit, not with wine that leads to excess in life. So we said, all right, we're going to have to trust people here. Golly, you know how hard that is? And, we're gonna have to have to, and then we're going to have to trust that if it gets over bounds, we're going to trust our hearts for them. You know how hard that is? To have to go to somebody and say, I think we're a little out of bounds here. You know how many people we've lost because we've said to them, we think you're a little out of bounds with alcohol more than you'd ever believe. But that's the position we decided to take. And when it came to spiritual things, we decided that I would teach with regularity on the complexities of these things. So next week, I'm going to dive deep into tongues, prophecy, healings, and all the ones that get more stuff, more attention sometimes. But today, I'm going to give you these seven things, because if we don't, weird things happen. One, the Spirit of God is restricted, and we're not going to quench the Spirit of God here. And number two, the other thing that happens, people get weird. So we had a lady um, who had the gift of intercession. She was a prayer. But on our prayer team, we had a certain rules. Now, you can disagree with these rules. These are our rules. You don't have to get on the prayer team if you don't like our rules, all right? It's very simple. Bless you. Do whatever you want to do. But if you come over here, here's what we do. If you're on the prayer team, you don't tell people you're sick with this disease because of this sin in your life. We don't do that. I have all kinds of theological reasons. It's for a different talk. We just don't do that. So we had a lady who is praying for a lady with cancer, one of the most godly women I've ever met in my life, and she says to this lady with cancer, you're sick with cancer because you have these sins in your life, and then she lists the sins, which, of course, she did not know. She felt inspired by the Spirit in the moment to read this woman's mail. So I went to her, and I said, you understand, you weren't trained that way. We don't do that sort of thing. And she said, but the Spirit moved me. You know, you don't like the move of the Spirit? It's clear you don't. I mean, people here don't really express the Spirit much. So now that I have this information too, it's clear, Ben, you don't like the move of the Spirit. In which case, the fighter, the redneck thug in me came out. I'm from Chicago and grew up in the South. I'm a redneck thug. All right, so the fighter in me comes out and I said, here's the deal. That kind of information is leaving our church. That kind of engagement, that's exiting our church right now. The only question is, do you have to exit with it? Because we're not doing that here. That's spiritually abusive, potentially, and we can't do that here. We're not going to do it. You want to take a vote on whether she stayed or left? She's at another church. 
doing that right now. And bless her. Good. God bless her. We don't do that here. So whenever you release these kinds of things, there's all kinds of teaching that has to come with it. So number one, here we go. When we exercise the spiritual gifts, we bring glory to Christ and not ourselves. I grew up in an environment where it wasn't unusual for people in their expression of their gifts, the big ones or the small ones, the more elaborate ones, the less visible ones, that sometimes when they would do it, it was like, now I'm judging you a little bit, but like you wonder, like, what's the real motivation here? Because you're drawing an awful lot of attention to yourself. You're drawing an awful lot of attention to yourself and the way you're doing this. The Lord just spoke to me and told me, here's what I should tell you. Okay. Well, now I really can't argue with you because the Lord told you. That seems awfully one-sided. So my mentor taught us, if you feel like the Lord's given you an impression, you don't have to tell anybody, oh, the Lord just spoke to me. You don't have to. Now, that's what happened to me with Steve, who spoke to me over Cincinnati. But you don't have to do it that way. You can just say, hey, I had this thought. I want to share it with you and see if it means anything to you. Ba-bump, ba-bump, ba-bump. And then, then if it's the Lord, guess what happens? The Spirit makes that message quickened to the per- alive to that person. And if it's Ben's pizza from the night before, I didn't put words in God's mouth, which would be a very dangerous thing to do. This is about drawing attention to Christ, not the speaker, not the server, not the fill-in-the-blank with your gifting, Right? Number two, I'm gifted to serve others, not myself. So God didn't gift you so that everybody could celebrate your gifting. He gifted you so that you could pour yourself out in service to others, and that would be how you would glorify God. So teaching gifts and some of the more verbal and visible gifts often bring with them a certain spotlight. That's so dangerous because it's not about me. I've always been a little nervous of pastors who were the heroes of all of their stories. The truth is, is I am often the, you know, the foil in the story. I'm the learner. I'm the one trying to catch up with what God's doing. On occasion, I get it right. But when you do your gift, it's not about you. Number three, I exercise my gift while retaining control of myself, my attitude, and my actions. I think it's 1 Corinthians 13, somewhere around verse 36, 32, somewhere, somewhere in there. Paul says this phrase, he says, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. Let me unpack that. That if you had the gift of prophecy, you're still in control of how and when and what you say. It's not like you're in the church service and you're just sitting there worshiping. And all of a sudden, the spirit moves on you. God is moving through me. You're not a robot. You retain full control. And so when people who, who don't want to accept responsibility for how they exercise their gifts, then we say to them with great candor, don't exercise your gift here. Because how you exercise your gift has as much to do with the gift impact as anything else. How you wrap a gift often says an awful lot about the care of, and, and the love and the appreciation of what's inside the packaging. All right? Uh, next one. I, um, I make mistakes. As I operate my gifts. So um, I need humility. Is that where I am? Yeah. I make mistakes. Sometimes I've said to people, hey, I had a thought. I want to share it with you. Or one of my favorite phrases, hey, have you ever thought about this? Especially if I like to see potential in somebody. Have you ever thought about this? And sometimes they'll be like, no. I'm like, okay. 
whoo, I'm glad I didn't make God say that to them. Because um, that would be really silly and dangerous, right? The goal is not that they believe I'm God's servant. That's not the goal. The goal is that God uses me and minimizes me so the impact on them is more helpful. And you're going to make mistakes when you exercise the gifts. And sometimes, for fear of that, people don't do it. And for fear of other mistakes, people don't want to exercise them. Our next principle is my giftedness does not give me a license to override spiritual authority or biblical instruction. So just because you're gifted doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. My wife, in many ways, is so much smarter than me. She is. We have this debate all the time. Who's smarter? And honestly, objectively, I think it's her. But the fact that she's smarter than me doesn't mean that she can come in and go, all right, I'm in full control of this house now, and I'll do whatever I want, and because I'm gifted, you just have to catch up. Come on. Minimally, I'm her equal in the management of our home. And in our home, you don't have to like this. In our home, I'm actually the head of our home. So she doesn't exercise her gifts in a way that casts a shadow on my authority in our home. You work that out however you want. Good luck with it. All right? That's how we do it in our home. We've settled it. We're not debating it anymore. All right? So you can't exercise in the church your giftedness in a way that undermines biblical authority or spiritual authority. God has put certain leaders in the body of Christ, and he's told the church to follow your leaders and make their leadership easy. That's in the Bible. We don't preach it because it sounds self-serving sometimes. But the truth is, is you can exercise your gifts in a way that creates all kinds of chaos, and then leaders have to come alongside and clean that stuff up. So that's why you create policies and procedures, which we'll do next week. And then finally, and maybe more importantly for us today, uh, I'm sorry, number six, is the packaging of the gift matters as much as the use of the gifts. We've talked about that. And then finally, a gift unused negatively impacts the body that you belong to. Now, at our church, we're just large enough that it looks like we don't need much. And in one sense, that's true. Like, if you don't want to be a part of this church, we will be just fine pursuing our mission without you. We will. I don't want to, but we will. We have people all the time say, I don't want to do that anymore. Okay. Sometimes that's healthy. Sometimes it's not healthy. Okay. But here's the theological truth. If God's called you to this body and you don't use your gifts in this body, then we're limited in the mission that we're called to fulfill here. So in one sense, we absolutely need you. Can't do it without you. If you're disobedient, we'll work around you. That's on you and the Lord. I can't force you. We're not robots here. But if you want to use your gifting here, we have a spot for that. That's why we have a whole class designed, Grow 3, to help you identify that. Then we get a record of it, and then we can reach out. And that's happening. And so we've added dramatic numbers in the last six months to our volunteer roles. More volunteers recruited in the last six months in our church than probably any other six-month period of time in the history of the church. Because Melissa, the adult leadership team, have gotten very good at helping people identify their gifts and finding expressions for that gifting in the life of the church. We need you. Now, next week, I'm going to talk with you and unpack three key ideas. That in our church, we believe that if you have to choose the fruit of the Spirit over the gifts of the Spirit, if you have to choose between the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, then you choose the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the tone with which we operate. I'd rather have a nice Christian who does almost nothing in using their gifts than a highly gifted person nobody can stand to be around. Right? So we're going to choose the fruit of the Spirit over the gifts. But the truth is, we don't actually have to choose that. We actually have to choose both. And in our church, we're going to choose the timeless, authoritative word of God in the Bible 
over any spontaneous in-the-moment word or hunch you might receive. But truthfully, we don't actually have to choose between the two. We can do both, right? But one takes priority. And in our church, we're going to see how your individual expression helps the body. So in our church, we're going to choose how your exercise of the gift impacts the body more than how your exercise of the gift makes you feel, right? And those are going to be some guiding principles. And I'll spend a lot of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, which talks about tongues, prophecy, all that sort of stuff next week as we gathered. And I've asked you not to judge me until you get all four weeks in, all right? Right now, though, I want you to grab out your Connect card, and let's take a couple steps together. So if you've been around our church for a while, you know that this message series is slightly different. It's much more teaching than it is inspirational. But our whole hope is, is that God would use it to inspire you to fan into flame the gifts he's put in you. But none of that matters if you're not yet in a relationship with him. So the next step in our church every week that is next step A is around our value for evangelism. And it says, today I'm making Jesus my Lord and Savior. If you're not yet in a relationship with him, you can right now change that. The Bible says that you and I are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. That we need a Savior. We don't need help. We need a Savior. We need rescued. And if you want to put your trust in the work that Jesus did for you, not the work you do on your own. You can never be good enough. But Jesus was perfect. If you want to trust him, you can, by trusting in his work, become a child of God today. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray in a moment and do serious business with God. Bow your head and say, God, save me. Wash away my sins. I want to follow you. And we'd ask you to take the pen we provided and check next step A. When the offering buckets come by in a moment, your gift to us today is to put that in there. And let me follow up with you about what it means to be a child of God. I'm not going to ask anything of you. I'm not going to ask you to join the church or give money. I just want to talk to you about what it means to be a child of God, all right? The next step B says, I want to be baptized on October 13th or December 8th. Last week in second service, we had four ladies get baptized right here. Man, what a beautiful picture of what God's doing in our church. And we celebrated with them as their spiritual family. If you have questions or want to get baptized, you check the box. That's how you begin. Next step C is a prayer that I'm praying every morning. I'm asking you to pray it. This is the prayer I'm hoping that catches in our congregation and fans into flame, the move of God's spirit. It says, it says, Father, empower me with every gift you want me to have and help me to see and open doors for me to serve others. Empower me and help me serve. Empower me, help me serve. Empower me, help me serve. That's our heart through this whole series. Next step D is grow. Number three, which is discovering your design. That's when we talk at length about the gifts. We give you an assessment. It's a tool. It's not a perfect tool. But it kind of helps you ask the questions. What gifts might you have? There are other things we help you through. Melissa and her team are great at this. And it's a wonderful experience. And if it's been a while since you've done this, it might be worth your time to go through it again. And if you've never done it, man, this is an exciting class you want to be a part of. And the next step, E, I'd like to talk to somebody about hosting a small group this fall. So a small group host for us may or may not have the gift of leadership, but they're really good about making people feel welcomed in their homes. Where we get out of the rows of these environments in our auditorium, we get together in circles and we talk about the work that God's doing in our life. And sometimes you talk, and if you don't want to talk, you listen while others talk. But we build a sense of friendship in that room, and then people talk about God's stuff, and it can be life-changing. It has been for me, all right? Why don't you set aside your Connect card right now? And if you call this church home, I want to give you an opportunity to give back to God a portion of what he's blessed you with. And I want to point ahead a few weeks right now and tell you how that the money you've given over the last several months is going to make a difference. 
in a few weeks, um, we're going to be 15 years old publicly. So for about 16 and a half years, Jill and I have been working this church. 15 years ago, third week of September, we went public, had our very first service. And there was so much excitement in the room. You know what excited us the most is that we would have a place we'd be unashamed to invite our friends and family to and say, these people, they're imperfect, but they'll love you. And these people, they're imperfect, but they'll help you discover God's plan for your life. And these people, they're imperfect, but they'll love you and they'll love your kids and your grandkids. That's what we wanted. That's what we started the church. And for 15 years, you've been doing it. So in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate our 15th anniversary. And rather than making it about us, we make it about the people we love, which is the people outside those doors. So we host a food truck rally. We don't celebrate us. There's not going to be any pictures. There's not going to be a, a slideshow, friends are friends forever, and everybody cries about how awesome it's been to be around. That's not going to happen. We're going to get up, and we're going to invite our friends to go out and have lunch with us on that day. So the money you've given has established a place where more than a sign on a door, it's not unusual for real love now to happen here. And there are people in this room who have been faithfully giving for 16 years. Thank you. There are people in this room who have been given faithfully for three months. Thank you. And I'm telling you, in a month or so, when our guests walk through the door, here's what you can know. Every penny you've given is on mission and is specifically there to help families in North Cincinnati become, have their best opportunity to become fully developing followers of Jesus. It is on mission. It is on mission. It is not wasted. It will make a difference. And mark my words, some of those guests who come that you'll invite, some of those guests who come, it will be their first bold step to a new relationship with Jesus, and it will change everything for them. And I'm so excited to do it with you. And I feel so humbled to be able to do it with you. And I'm so humbled by your serving and your giving and your prayers and your showing up. Let's pray right now together. Would you do that with me? Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit that flows in and out of our lives. God, we pray that you would fill us up all the way with your spirit. God, we don't want it to be about us. We want it to be about you. We don't want it to serve us. We want you to use us to serve others. So, Father, come. Make your spirit's movement free and fresh in this body. Remove barriers. Break down walls. Bring unity. And, Father, also, would you take our gifts today? And would you cause them to become a part of the foundation of the ministry of this church? Over the next few weeks and months, you will use these dollars and these pennies, something very temporary, and we pray that you would use it to accomplish eternal goals, that lives would be changed, that marriages would be saved, that the hearts of the fathers would return to their children, and the hearts of the children would return to their fathers. Use our church to do it. And Lord, would you take our next steps? Would you give us eyes to see how you've wired and gifted us? Would you give us eyes to see opportunities to serve? We're just so grateful. Once again, Father, fill us up all the way with your spirit. We pray in the strong and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen.